Thank you so much for listening to series one of the Media Careers podcast. We've had such amazing feedback and it's been brilliant to hear how the advice and guidance from our guests has supported and inspired you so much. I also just wanted to flag the show notes to you again. There are direct contact links to our guests within them, as well as links to other companies and organisations who can support and guide you further. So please don't forget to check those out as well. And finally, I have one small favour to ask you. Please could you press the small button to either follow or subscribe to the podcast so we can reach even more people who can hear from these amazing media professionals. Thank you so much and I really hope you enjoy series two. Our guest today has had an unusual path into the industry. Having studied criminology at both Teesside University and then as a master's at Edinburgh University, it's hard to see at the outset how Charon Darmy has navigated her way into film and television. But she went on to study filmmaking at Prague Film School and has fought her way into the UK film and TV industry, from a floor runner to a third AD. She has worked on Bollywood movies, British movies, high-end TV drama, television shows all around the UK and Ireland, and has support from organisations such as Creative Access, Screen Skills and Screen Yorkshire. I think it's fair to say that Charon has earned her place in the industry. Charon, welcome to the Media Careers Podcast. Oh, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Carrie. It's been a really, it's an honour to be able to uh, chat with you today. Oh, well, it's so brilliant to have you here. And I'm really excited to chat to you about your journey from criminology through to the film and TV industry. So um, let's get started. In this podcast, we always start at the beginning and find out what you were like as a young person. So so what were you like as a child and did you have any particular hobbies or interests? So as a child, I was so shy and such an introvert. Um, I just wanted to blend in and I also would never put my hand up for anything and I just would, were quite happy to be invisible. I really enjoyed drama. I, I was a bit of a bookworm and I liked writing a lot as well. I think writing is what I've done throughout most of my life. Is just sort of like creating worlds and ideas and characters and just losing myself in that. And obviously, yeah. I love movies. Yeah, obviously, obviously, <laughs> that obviously started at a young age. And and were you aware aware of the media industry? Do you think when you were a child? Yes, I wanted to be an actress when I was younger um, because we all had the colours and we had the dancing. Because I I watched a lot of Bollywood. We weren't mm-hmm. allowed to watch a lot of like English films just because of the sex. I mean. That's all like, no, no, no. Violence was okay because there's a lot of that in Bollywood. Um, but my parents discouraged that. They were like, no way could you be an actress. No way you can go down that road. But I always knew that I would eventually end up that way um, okay. because I had a real passion for it. Okay, that's interesting. And did it, did your kind of love of drama and movies filter into education in terms of GCSEs and the subjects that you studied? I would have loved to study drama and English literature and English because I was good at that. But there was always this um, discouragement to go into the arts. And because of that, you didn't have an open relationship to discuss it because, you know, it wouldn't it would be frowned on. And that wasn't the, the path that they had chosen for you. No, OK, so that must have been quite tricky as well to kind of balance out where your interests were and what you wanted to do. And then obviously trying to please your family and think about the careers that, that, you know, the career paths that they had envisioned for you as a young person. Yeah, it yeah, it was difficult. But I think as, as usual, you have to like compartmentalise it. So it's like, okay, I'll do that. And then once you go to university, you'll be free from that. And you can just kind of like pursue things that you're interested in. 
So for me, just going away to university was like a bit of freedom from that where I could just explore things that I really wanted to do. Okay. So just taking a step back, so at A-levels, you did you study law at A-levels then? So that kind of path where you were kind of set, set on that path from that from that age too? No, I studied the sciences. So I did chemistry, biology, maths, because they were thinking that I would be a doctor, or hoping ah, okay. that I would be a doctor. Okay. And the but I I really did want to study law actually, but they were like just do this and you'll be fine. So I did manage to get into university for law, but I just couldn't connect with it. It was just a different way of of my brain didn't function that way. Mm. Okay. So you so you swapped from sciences to law, and then decide and then law obviously didn't quite fit either because you then changed to criminology. And yeah. and did that feel more of a natural fit? Because then you then went on to do a master's in it as well. So it must have started to feel like a subject that was resonating with you. Yes, actually, it's everything that I thought law would be. Uh-huh. Uh, it was, yeah, I just loved it. It was really interesting. And it was much more because law was like the application. You've got this old English stuff and you have to build the argument and just find find all this stuff. While criminology, I loved it so much. I just really got em- embroiled in it. Amazing. And so did you think that you were going to go on and have a career in criminology once you left university or were you still thinking about this kind of possible media career that you had such a love for at a younger age? Oh, I always knew that I would switch. Okay. Uh, I always knew that. Um, I mean, I loved criminology. I was good at it. In, in my family, we're very academic. So the people don't become doctors. There's quite a lot of doctors in my family. They become lawyers. And if they don't become lawyers, then they get PhDs. So that would have been like the natural sort of thing was like, okay, you do that, you do your master's, which I did. And I was quite happy to do my master's. But for me, that was the end of the road. I didn't want to go down a path where I would just lose myself. And I did feel I was losing my identity about what I wanted. And I spent so much time and energy making other people happy Mm -hmm. that I wasn't on the surface. It looked like I had everything. But I didn't, I felt quite empty and I realised that I'm going to have to do the break. So when I came home from Edinburgh, my parents were like, right, now you can go and do your PhD. And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm taking a break. And they were like, okay, that's fine. Take a break, do your PhD. And then I really had to rediscover myself about what I wanted to do and my own identity and then have the courage to do that. Yeah, that, I mean, that seems to me like a, a huge thing to do because you're following your family's guidance and their wishes for you to kind of either become a doctor or get get a career in, in law or criminology. And then, to, as you say, to then have the courage to then say, actually, no, I'm not going to take this any further into a PhD. I'm going to I'm going to look at doing something that I'm interested in. That seems like a, a huge moment and significant moment in your life and the way that the rest of your career would go. Yes. And I think it's because I was older. I was like, well, older, but I was like in my early mid twenties that I couldn't make that decision. Mm. I think if I'd been younger, I wouldn't have had the courage to do that. And also I've got a cousin, which is the same age as me. So she was doing the PhD and she was doing all the right things. And in Asian culture, it's usually like competing with each other and sort of like trying to be the best of the families. Mm. And I really had to think I have to do what's right for me and follow my own path. And I can always go back. I just sort of said that. I was like, I don't have to do my PhD when I'm like 20, 
24-25 I can always do it later it's you know I, I'm it's good to give myself a chance on other stuff in life but like I say I did sort of like manage to do that no well, it's incredible and um, and what it seems to me a really brave thing for you to do as well to kind of take that moment and go actually I'm going to follow what I'm interested in so how did you how did you find yourself then what did you what kind of process did you go through to work out what you were interested in and and what career path you might like to go down it was really tough actually because I was very broken uh mentally physically um and then I I actually started I, I mean I would say I started from zero and at the time when I finished at Edinburgh, I was like, I'm never going to study again. I'm never going to do anything again. I'm just going to just see what happens. And then slowly as I started watching movies, reading books, journaling, and I had a jo- I got a job. Uh, and then I was like, actually, as you start to repair yourself, you start realizing that this is actually what I'm interested in. You know, I love criminology. I love law, but I love stories and I want to get involved in writing so I started writing again and really sort of like trying out different things and I knew that after like I can't remember what job I was doing but after a while I was like once you want to start repair because I'm quite ambitious I was like yeah I, I think I'm I'm gonna go to film school I'm gonna do it and I'll save the money and if it doesn't work it doesn't matter because I can always get the money again I can know I've got the skills um to get a job and be fine but it was like a long sort of healing process that I had to go to rediscover myself just generally about what I was interested in. Yeah, that's so interesting. I suppose because your life up to that point had been so focused in one direction that there probably hadn't been much room to kind of explore anything else or think about anything else. So actually giving yourself that time to recover and then reimagine what your life could be and where your interests are, you know, it doesn't surprise me that it took a little bit of time to kind of navigate that kind of internally and also wait you know physically in terms of what steps you might take oh Sharon what about your family at the time were they supportive of you going to to film school I'm very close to my siblings uh, so I've got two sisters and a brother they're all medics um, I'm very close to them but I never tell my parents so they all knew about what I wanted to do where I was going to go but I I never mentioned because I know that they would try to stop it and they're not going to be supportive so when you want to do something, you're looking for people, and, and it's different, it's against the grain. Obviously, there's a lot, lot of fear um, because in my family, we're winners. So it's like, you're going to be, we don't want you to be a loser. We don't want you to be less than your siblings. We don't want you to be less than people in the family. We don't just struggle. Like my parents struggled because they are immigrants. So I didn't tell them. Uh, and I had this little plan and I mentioned it to my siblings and I told them that I'm not to tell anyone. And they didn't, they just kept it all quiet. And then I slowly started to say, so they were quite comfortable. And they, they were supportive because they're living their life. They're doing what they love to do, which is medicine. And even though they were like a bit worried, they, because they've, they've got like the British mentality as well, that it's like, you've got to do what's right for you, what makes you happy. They'd known that I had been unhappy before. So just give it a shot. So they were really supportive, but no, I didn't tell my parents at all. That must have been really tough as well, um, not telling them. But amazing to have that support of your siblings. I'm pretty close to my siblings too, so I understand the importance of 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 being able to share your kind of hopes and dreams with them as well. I I totally relate to that. So you go off to Prague Film School then. So did your parents know when you went to Prague Film School? So before I went to Prague Film School, I did my teacher training to so get my six grand. 
to go to work. So my parents thought I was going to be a teacher, so they were happy. Okay. And I was like, well, actually, really, I didn't tell them. I, I only wanted to do this to get the six grand, so I could pay for film school. So, <laughs> <laughs> and then I actually had a job in the prison where I was doing teaching and I was also doing admin. So they were like, you can, you can work in a prison now. You can get a pension. You can do all the safe stuff. And I was like, mm, okay, we'll see, we'll see. Then I paid off everything to go to Prague Film School. I didn't tell them. Everyone, my siblings on you was going until like a week before. Oh, so wow. a week before I was going to go, my dad was going, well, you've got enough money now. You can put a good mortgage, a, a good deposit down on a house. You've got a proper job, like a, you know, a permanent job. So he's making all these lovely plans for me, uh, which is nice because I, I know that it's coming from a good place. And then I just, and I had to tell them. And oh, I, Sharon, that's like, <laughs> That's such a big thing. <laughs> so, yeah. And then I told them a week before that I'm going and it's all paid for and I've organized it like I know I'm going to get to the airport and blah, blah. And they were just, my dad was really devastated and he goes, Oh my God, you've just wasted all that money. And I said to him, I said, I can always get more money because I've, it took me three years to save for it. So I can, I can do it again. Mm. Um, but I, what I can't get is the time and if I waste a year of the money and my time fine at least I know but I can always get a teaching job I can always do a PhD it's I'm not losing anything apart from the wealth yeah. but I can I can make that again and I suppose it's like having that courage to go you know what and my parents are risk takers as well you know they're immigrants they worked so hard they lost themselves as well you know my dad was a teacher and he came here and he's working in a factory and you know and doing long hours so he compromised a lot so I did sort of look to that and I thought you know if you want to take a chance on yourself you have to struggle mm. um so he was disappointed I thought they might stop me from going to the airport I did but they didn't actually I was quite lucky mm. and my mum didn't speak to me when she found out and she didn't speak to me for the whole year that I was at school oh wow the whole yeah. year she didn't speak to you at all yeah. And they didn't give me any money, but I, I knew they wouldn't do. I knew they would not fund me. I knew they would give, not give me anything, but that's why I had the money. I, I had enough to pay for school, pay for living, pay for my movies. And I had an amazing time, but I, I, I didn't rely on anyone. I did everything myself because I knew that that's how they would behave and they would use money as a way of control. And mm. there would be, and they would use like when I'm going to speak to you emotionally to control you. But we'd been through that growing up with that sort of like characteristic that it was fine because we kind of got immune to it. <laughs> so yeah. it wasn't actually, it wasn't as hard as if we'd been loving and we'd been close and we told them everything. And then I did that. Then I, then I, I wouldn't have, you know, you're, you're torn. But I didn't really view it like that. But that's again, it's just years of preparation and knowing how someone's going to act and accepting them mm. you know I accepted my parents they had to accept that I'm an adult and this is what I want to do yeah there had to be acceptance on both sides didn't there that you accepted that they were gonna react like that and then them also accepting as you said that you're an adult and you can make your decisions and this is this is what you want want to do it's it was quite extraordinary Sharon to have that strength of courage to make that decision and also have that conversation with your parents, but also the kind of amount of preparation and planning that went into that move that, as you said, you went and got your PGCE, you got your teacher's qualification, you saved your money, that actually you took that 
time and effort and had that belief, always had that belief that this was the right decision. It really is quite extraordinary. I think there was, I applied to go to uh, a school in London and I got accepted and it was 7,000 a term for fees. And I just remember bursting into tears because I cannot afford that. I can't, mm. you know, and then the living and everything. And I just remember sort of like crying and saying to my sister at the time, so this is a year before I went to private film school. It's going, oh no, it's it's never going to happen. The glass ceiling, it's always. And my sister, uh, she was very, very encouraging. She goes, no, no, we'll find a way. And she studied medicine in, in the Czech Republic. So she goes, you don't have to stay in England. And that's when we found Prague Film School. And uh, she's like, you've got to do this. You've, you know, I, I believe in you. This is what you want to do. So I think sometimes when you are broken, you can go to people who can who are supportive. And I think it's important to have that. Yeah, that network of people that have got your back and are there to encourage you and uh, give you that support when you're at your lowest ebb and think that everything's gone, actually. Sometimes you do need that just external perspective to give you another another bit of light that actually there's an alternative route and 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 there's a path here. Well, well, thank goodness that your sister did do that and did suggest the Prague Film School. And And what was it like once you were there? It sounds as though it was everything that you hoped it would be. It was the best decision I ever made in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, it was incredible. It was an international school, so I met everyone from all over the world. Uh, I made some amazing friends and very talented filmmakers that I'm still in contact with now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just got to travel. I mean, because we had a shop, we had a business, so we didn't really travel at all. We didn't go anywhere. The first sort of holiday I had as a family, which was just me, my dad and my brother, was when I was like 20 mm-hmm. in India because it was always about the business. So I got interested in art, photography, lighting, and thinking about music. It was just, it just opened. And I looked at the world in a very different way, just, and I still look at it that way. So it it was like, it completed me so much and I, it was magical. Oh, wow. That's just, that's kind of given me goosebumps just hearing you talking about it like that. And Sharon, did you have an idea when you, when you were there and you were exploring all of these different pathways in the industry, did you have an idea of what the route might be when you got back and which bit of the industry you wanted to be in and which role you might kind of be aiming for? Had that started to crystallise in your head when you were at Prague? Yes, I I knew I could write and I was good at writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I did want to write. I wasn't sure about directing first because it just was something that I'd never done. Mm-hmm. So I kind of got into Prague on the strength of my writing. And I was quite good at organising things. So I always got the producer stuff. So I was like, okay, but I really wanted to direct once I was there. I was like, these are my words. This is what I want. I really want to do that. So when I got out of Prague Film School, I really wanted to pursue those avenues. But no one teaches you like once you leave school, especially because in international school as well, it, um, about how to get in, what jobs you should be looking for, where to go. It was really, really tough, kind of knowing that this is where I want to be. I want to be writing on and directing, but how do I get there? Mm. And it took me quite a long time to figure out how to get there. Um, like I say, producing was something that I was kind of good at because it was all about organisation, reading scripts and stuff. And obviously this is film using at school, mm. not, the, not the real world. So when I left Prague Film School, uh, I had to run away from home again because my parents wouldn't let me 
work on a movie with my film school friend and he wanted me to produce it and they're like no you're not going you've had your fun now blah blah so uh, I just they, ran away. they thought yeah. that you were going to come back and have kind of ticked that box and then perhaps go back to a career in yeah. In teaching I, or your PhD. I did so they did think that that actually things would kind of settle in their eyes, settle back down again when you came back. Yeah, they did. They really thought that. And I remember saying to my dad, Dad, I've changed. I've seen the world differently. And I remember just being in the garden and just looking at the stars and the moon and just really absorbing the whole world because I had changed how I viewed things. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was difficult for them. And they just sort of said, No, you're not, you're not going, you're not gonna go and help your friend Paolo. So I just sort of went and I just, I was very, very depressed and uh, when they wouldn't let me do that. So I came home in September and I was like, oh God, I'm, you know, I had such an amazing time. Then I felt like, you know, catcher in the rye. I just thought, oh God, come back here and I, you know, and nothing's changed here. Mm. And then I had an opportunity to go to, to Croatia help my friend make a movie and then my parents were blocking it. And remember, I hadn't worked that so I didn't have that much money either. No. And then I just, um, I was, you know, my sister's like, she was studying medicine at Prague. She goes, just say you're going to visit me and my brother. My brother was there as well. And then we'll figure it out. And if they don't like you back home, you can stay with me. I was like, oh, okay. So I actually went. So I got a flight to um, Prague. And my dad dropped me off because he thought I was, because he knew I was very depressed. It was like, oh, she's, she'll be away for a couple of weeks, you know, with her sisters and a uh, sister or brother, a bit fine. And then from then I got a train from Prague all the way to um, Croatia. And he was in Rovin at the time. So I got a bus there and I met him. And I, I'd already been for an interview for a job I was under a lot of pressure and then when I was with with my friend I got the call saying I didn't get the job and I was gutted absolutely because he said I was too qual too overqualified to be a camera trainee because I had all this knowledge um and I was like really gutted and I thought god you know I can't get a break and then my friend's like listen you're here you're helping me make a movie you know that's it and I was like you're right I need to stop doing things to make my parents happy while they're saying for a job I'm here I'm gonna do it so I stayed there for about 10 months. Oh, wow, uh, 10 months. <laughs> yeah, I never contacted my parents. I came for my sister's wedding. I came for a couple and left because I was scared they were going to make me stay. So I didn't even stay that long. Uh, just came and then quickly ran away back there. And they didn't give me any money, but luckily I'd somehow got a tax break or something. So I'd overpaid. So I got that and that kept me going. So, yeah, and then I had to come back because, you know, I had nowhere to go when they accepted me but um yeah so it was again it's always about taking a chance on yourself and just and I'd watched a movie called Gattiga mm-hmm. and that really inspired me and it was like this person is biological sort of child and they've got a genetically modified kid and so the genetically modified kid is always better and then they had like a swimming swimming and then the biological child won his brother and it was like the first time ever. And he said, oh God, how did you manage to, years later, he goes, how did you manage to do that? And he go, how did you manage to get the enough energy for the swim back? And he goes, I never thought about the swim back. Mm. I just, and I thought that's what I need to do when I was going to run away. It's like, don't think about the other stuff. I'm going, just think forward. This is what's going to happen. And I'll deal with that other stuff when I get back. And mm. that is how I survived it. Wow. I mean, just so extraordinary, Taryn. The 
the strength of character to just as you say to keep going to keep looking forward to keep believing to know that this is exactly what you wanted to do and to resist all of the pressures from home and the pressures to go into a different industry and to not follow your dreams that that must have been so hard on so many occasions and all all you know all strength to you because that's just phenomenal to be able to keep going and testament to your to you and all your siblings as well who obviously encouraged and supported you along along the way so when did you ever feel because it it seems to me as though you've you were going kind of from one job to one job did you ever feel as though oh I'm actually in the industry now was there a point where you went oh yeah no I'm here I'm I'm doing the thing that I have wanted to do for ages when when did you feel as though you'd got to that point so I went and did a Bollywood film with Akshay Gamar actually so he's like a big Bollywood star so I was like oh wow this is great but on that crew there were sort of like people who had who'd worked in Ackley Bridge and had worked on these other shows there was actually a really good uh, third called Christy Ecklins and he's the one we got chatting and I because, you know, I really want to be a floor runner, but I'm so scared. I was rubbish at it. He goes, no, I can teach you. I can teach you. So I was doing, I was in the production, production runner. And then I was hanging out with him. And then he was teaching me stuff about the floor and how to be a runner. And then they were short staffed. So I just sort of like ended up helping them. And then I ended up doing two jobs. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, first of all, I'm working on this, this really expensive multi-million pound movie with a Bollywood superstar. And I've met like all these incredible people who work in the British film and TV industry. And I'm actually managing to do two jobs all at once. Uh, so I think that that's when I was like, actually, I don't think I'd made it, but I thought I'm on the way. Yeah. Then when I got the Ackley Bridge gig, because there was a medic on that um, film called Gold, he got chatting. And he goes, oh, I know the line producer, Matthew Hamilton, an incredible, credible, wonderful man. And so I wrote him an cold email because he gave me the and I got Richard Knight from Screen Skills uh to read over it he gave me some stuff and then I sent this off and they had an interview and Richard Knight goes they're probably going to offer you a job and you've got to decide what you want do you want to, you know I, was like, I really want to be floor on it um and then I said, met the producer Alex Lamb who was wonderful to me he was a really really nice giving both of them Matthew Hamilton and Alex Lamb are just so warm and they gave me a chance Mm. Uh, from then on I was like I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in and I had like I think it was six months gigs so I had six months of like learning to do on it but I met different firsts there I met seconds who I'm still in contact today you know and, and first I'm still in contact today and people that I just meet on the jobs it it really sort of changed it it changed yeah. my life yeah amazing so Sharon you're now a third AD that's kind of the role that you're you're doing in film intelligence C- could you tell us what does that actually mean when you're on set what does a third actually do so a third ad is the right hand person of the first and the first is the i always say the king and queen of the floor so they're <laughs> the one who do the schedule they're the ones who tell you how long it's going to take to do a scene and trying to push everyone along and they're the one who goes action and get checks in and organizing everything So I'm with that. So I would be hanging out with the director, finding out what what they want to do, usually with background. So um, the director, I'll ask the director what what do they want to do with the background. 
and if they have any ideas and then I would do it and then if they're happy with it you just leave it then it's always like making sure that the next wave of cast are ready so if you're going to move on to another scene then I've got to make sure that the cast are there and that when they arrive there's a runner to go and greet them and I've also got to make sure that um that I'm keeping it updated so the updates group about which when we first turned over how many setups down what scene we're doing and if there's any changes that are happening mm-hmm. so it's constantly on the go thinking ahead and then if the first one something's done that usually asks me and I just try to go and facilitate but during that time you do have other departments coming up to you <laughs> so I'm asking as an AD which is what I love is that everyone always comes to you so you, you should I know if no one knows what they're doing they always come to you <laughs> and you've got to try and find that out and figure it out and there's, there was you know problem solving and sometimes doing conflict resolution when people get a bit tense and go okay right we, we should just move on from that and then when the first step's off you cover a bit for the first and you do sort of like make sure checks are ready and call action and all the other stuff so it's quite full-on mm. you've got to be organized and thinking ahead but I love it when I first stepped up it was awful um, <laughs> because it's such a big jump yeah and you're learning on the job which I just, which I really would like to change that. I think we should just do some courses and stuff that you can prepare yourself so you have a rough idea about what it is that we do mm. because you're learning on the job and everyone's coming to you to do stuff. And the first is, it does help you. I'm not I'm not saying that they don't, but they're mm. also doing their own job. And you want to be good at your job, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so it was it was, it was, was an intense sort of like, I think I did a, a long job of my first third in and it was an intense sort of like, Baptist the fire being thrown in but there's other stuff that you don't realize about leadership about what sort how you cope with pressure what sort of leader you want to be so you do make quite a lot of errors because you've never done that role before and then you kind of get better and improve and I always like to think to myself Obama was never Obama he became Obama (laughs) that's so true I I like this sort of like the way he talks and the way he holds himself and Mm -hmm. and say you know JFK because you're then you start looking at leaders and see how they cope with stuff and what they do and what sort of person you want to be. Yeah. And that's all extra preparation you have to do as a person and yeah. as yourself. Yeah, and it's a process, right? You, as you say, they're not you're not born a leader. You learn these skills and attributes and and it's practice and and as you say, exactly like learning from others, both external figures and and on the job as well. So it's it is definitely a process to becoming a leader, that is for sure, and showing leadership qualities. What are your hopes for your career now? So you're at your thirding at the moment. What's the goal for you personally then? Do you think kind of moving to first or is there a different path that you're looking at in your career? I definitely, at this moment, I don't want to be a first. Everyone keeps saying that. And I'm like, it just seems so stressful, so much pressure. And I don't have any desire to do that to myself. (laughs) (laughs) I love being the one on the floor, the nice guy. (laughs) and going oh you know and things like oh it's okay we'll do that so I don't really have that I mean I really love being a third Uh, I'd like to do more background third in and I think then I won't mind being like a crowd second or a second for a little bit but I you know and then if I do want to be a first I've got the option but I'm really really enjoying being being a third I'd like to go more into directing I think and if you know it's kind of like I'm with the director, I'm hanging out with the director, I'm hanging out with the DOP, I've got the first them. Some first do direct, 
Mm. So you are sort of surrounded by all this knowledge. And then I go off and I start chats. I'm on the floor and I ADs chat with everyone and chat to the gaffer and he, the gaffer does the lighting. So you can always have a nose in, ask them questions. And so, um, and then I think I'd like to give myself a chance with directing and performances. I think, you know, we, we kind of look, and I, I notice I was doing it on this job as well. Sometimes it's about the crossing and the movement. And then you're like, okay, now I need to think about performances from from the essays now and tell them what it's about and they can get that so just putting that all together and and seeing what happens yeah. and just if it doesn't work out or I don't enjoy it I have a job that I really love anyway so it's win-win yeah it seems to me as though you're just spending the time at the moment absorbing absolutely every possible element you possibly can do of a film and television set and learning from every single person that's on the show floor and just working out what they do and how they do it and and all of that will kind of filter into your thinking in the way that you go forwards in your career whatever whatever path you take yeah and I always say I mean but this is me it's like be friends with the people who are the best yeah <laughs> I I always I want to work with the best and I want to be surrounded by people the best so I can pick up good habits and I can just know how they operate and I'm being quite lucky that the people that I usually like and admire I get on well with it's easy sometimes to go down a route where like, oh, they're really, you can pick up bad habits. You've just got to be careful about who you want to be and what sort of person you want to be and just hang out with those people or observe those people because um, that's going to shape you. I think that's a really good motto and particularly for learning your craft in the film and television industry is, is doing exactly that. So it sounds like a very good plan to me. Uh, Sharon, I've got to ask, what do, what do your parents think about your career now? How are they feeling about you working in the industry and as a third AD? Well, they're actually, they're, they're okay. They they realised that they couldn't sort of stop me and they're actually proud of me. So yeah. it's the most proudest moment of my life for my career. And I remember I worked on a film with an Indian icon called Amitabh Bachchan and he's I couldn't believe it when I was going to be, so I've only done two Bollywood films and I've always, and I've been very lucky. I've worked with Akshay Kumar as a superstar and I've worked with the icon of Indian cinema who's Amitabh Bachchan. Mm-hmm. And when I saw his name on the thing, I was like, is it really him? I'm like, yes. And they were so proud of that. It's like working with Spielberg. Yeah. Like, I think, uh, so for me, I would love to work with Spielberg. But uh, work with, and I remember just driving to work. I'd, I'd work some stuff, and I was like, I could die now. Or if my career was to end, I, I, it'd be okay because this mm. is what, this is the highlight. I never thought that my, I'd work with him, and I have is that which is respect, respect for myself, and respect for others. And this will stay with me until I die. Yeah. So, and they are, they are really proud of me. I do remember my dad sort of saying, God, you know, why are my children like this? <laughs> you're all kind of headstrong and independent I went well you told us to be yeah you raised us to be strong independent people and there's three girls and then my brother is youngest so my dad was very sort of focused about don't let anyone tell you what to do if you get married and he doesn't like blah you know be an independent person have your own money have this have that so he raised <laughs> us to be this sort of thing yeah yeah the apple <laughs> He couldn't say anything because he was right. <laughs> yeah, the apple hasn't fallen far from the tree there, has it? He's uh, he's he's obviously created everything that he's produced in you, everything that he wanted to see, right? All of that independence and headstrong yeah. and knowing what you want and um, amazing. And I'm sure he recognises all of that too. I mean, he laughed about it and he goes, yeah, you're right. And But they are proud of me. And one thing my mum always said is like, you've always got to believe in yourself. You've always got to believe in yourself. 
and it's weird because they didn't believe in me but because they always told me to believe in myself (laughs) (laughs) and I just ended up doing it like I said there were there are doubts there are always doubts but the, the desire to do something is stronger than not doing it yeah well there is no doubt Tony your journey has been extraordinary in this industry and you have definitely fought for your place and followed your dreams and followed your passions and I just yeah it's an extraordinary story and I know you're gonna continue to fly in your career whatever you do next um but before we wrap up the podcast I'd love to know what advice would you have to a young person who is perhaps from an Asian culture too and has a similar kind of family structure and but they're looking to get into the industry what advice would you give to them I would say try every scheme going apply Mm -hmm. for everything so when I was starting out I applied to I mean this is why I'm, I like go to so many stuff so I'm like, how come you're involved in all these things I'm like because it took me six years to get in yeah I, was, uh, I mean I remember my dad saying you're a loser which is the worst thing because I'm like my, my, this is my father how can you say that I didn't I was really upset with him but I just applied for everything going so I applied for um creative access and I applied for the screens girls and I applied for um screen Yorkshire and also I would say is like don't be scared of failing it's like mm-hmm. whenever you're going to start on something that's new that no one's done before you are it is going to be like a rocky road and you are going to get failed and there's going to be disappointment but you've just got to say that sometimes the people who make it aren't the people who are the best but they're the ones who are the more resilient and they just keep going to get what they want so I would say that that's the important thing apply for everything and just always keep going. And at the end of the day, it is so, the 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 joy you feel, I mean, everyone's like, you're always happy, you're always smiling. I'm like, yeah, because I'm living my life the way I want to live my life. Yeah. And I am so blessed that I I had the courage to do that. So yeah. I, I, would, I would say that I always try to look for people who will support you in that, in that dream. Yeah, because your story could have been very different. You could have done a PhD and had a completely different career path had you not had the courage to kind of follow your dream. So I think that's really, really sound advice. Um, Sharon, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute joy talking to you. Good luck with everything that you do in the future. I can't wait to see where your career goes. Thank you so much, Carrie, for having me and being able to share my story and inspire others. You know, yes, I've, I've enjoyed this podcast. Thank you very much. Oh, and you would definitely inspire others without a doubt. I have yeah, no doubts about that.